Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tone Talk with Mark Uzanski and Dave Friedman. Hope you're doing great. It's uh, episode 118. And uh, our guest, our next guest uh, that we have is really doesn't need an introduction. I mean, he's an amazing, talented artist. Uh, I've loved his guitar playing for many years. Joe Satriani. How are you? I'm very good. How are you guys doing tonight? Good, good, good. Really good. Uh, Thursday night, getting ready for the long weekend. Yeah. Uh, are you uh, any special plans for the holiday weekend for you or staying local? Staying in, trying to clean up the studio. As you can see, it's a mess. Oh, it, looks, <laughs> it looks horrible. It looks horrible. I don't know if that's a mess. There's a lot of guitars. And, uh, I just got a bunch of new pickups from Steve Blucher at the Marzio and uh, Gary Brower put them in for me and dropped them off yesterday. So, you know, they just came out of the cases leaning up gets the amp i'm just going through guitar after guitar trying to you know chase down some little tone thing which uh what pick, which pickups did you get any it's like special winding stuff or like stuff that's out there we usually do is we uh we work with a pickup um for a couple of years that's got a particular uh, profile that i'm looking for and then after you know going out on a couple of tours doing a few albums I start saying, oh, it'd be great if it had just a little bit more of this, a little bit less of that. Maybe we can, you know, it'll sound better when it's in this kind of a body instead of that one. Mm. And they're real subtle. And uh, so, yeah, that's why sometimes they've got some odd colors uh, in, in the pickup covers so that we can, you know, at least I right. can try to remember, you know, that this one's got, you know, a teeny bit less output or a little bit more yeah. high whatever but the I do one is this <laughs> yeah so i really do like the saturate you know it's a um the alico eight that he put together for me a number of years ago i was so surprised at how it really helped me out for my peculiar gig you know and um but i keep trying to see if there's, there's a way to you know improve upon it so that's what we we do that for years until we tell anybody about it, you know, so. <laughs> or until you go, ah, yeah, it's, I don't know. The old one was fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens, you know, but it's, as you know, it's really hard because you get a guitar and you know, it's a piece of wood. You really can't control what's going on with that piece of wood came out of the ground and, uh, and then it's, you know, it's screwed together and maybe you take it on tour. Maybe you play it for, thousand hours maybe it's the one guitar that only gets played once every night and so the experience starts to change the way that it operates and uh that's what i start to notice i have to try to be very careful to remember like this is an old guitar and this is a brand new one and these things will not you know it's going to sound unbroken in so to speak mm. so a little unfair sometimes when you just swap and pick up so yeah oh, yeah that makes sense that makes sense. Um, any particular models that you're putting it in or are you just going through all the guitars? Uh, yeah, well, you know, we've got the Chrome guitars and, and they have a special sound. We've got the, uh, the two different kind of uh, regular finish uh, guitars and, and they're either Alder or Basswood. And that's a really big change. Not so oh, much yeah. if you're, I mean, you know, you move a mic a little bit and you change a dial little bit on an amp you can pretty much simulate it to the point where you're not sure if what you're hearing is the basswood body js or the alder one mm -hmm. um it's the experience for the player you know if you're sitting there playing and you go for something <clears throat> and it doesn't come back the way you thought 
then you start thinking, is it the wood? You know, should I, you know, played the mahogany one or, or instead of the alder one? Uh, it's a bit of a mystery there, but um, I tend to put them in uh, the same pickups in the two different bodies. Uh, and we did a bunch of uh, muscle car colors. Um, and to start, we did the orange, uh, the red, the blue, the black, the purple, and half of them, uh, you know, had basswood like the original JSs. And to my ear, they're bassier and brighter. And then the other half had uh, the older woods. And to me, being on stage, they feel tighter and they, they have a, a nice connection between the, the low mids and the mids. There's like a, like it's just a smooth line that just sounds normal as you get louder and louder on stage. It's very even sounding wood. Yeah. Like, uh, and, and punchy. Um, yeah. And the, your, your your description, like, is how I view basswood and alder, too. Exactly. Oh, well, good. Yeah. See, yeah. Have experience. I, I mean, a lot of it, if you play with a lot of gain, you're not, it's really hard to notice that whole punchy thing. Because by nature, it's, you know, compressing your sound. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you plug into a little old Fender or something like that, or a vintage Marshall with very little gain, you'll, you'll hear the difference between punch and no punch right away. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Sure. That is true. Um, so right off the bat, I just want to mention that uh, you just came out with an album back in April, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Elephants of Mars. Yeah. Yeah. A cool album. It sounds <laughs> sounds great. Uh, any did, how did you record that? Was it uh, digital modeling or did you use amps? And, you know, I'd love to hear, like, what was the process of recording the album? Well, that that album surprised me so much when it really when we finished it and we started you know making notes and making sure that we you know uh dotted all the i's and crossed all the t's and everything uh my producer called me up one day and he said uh i just noticed something like going over everything you we didn't use any of the amps and I, it hadn't really dawned on me because i kept every time i do a performance i would generate i would do a di i'd monitor in a, a lot of different ways and I was always reamping and putting on, you know, the PV, the Marshall, the mm -hmm. JVM. And I just thought I'll decide later after Kenny plays drums and Ray puts the keyboards on and, you know, Brian does his bass and it's sitting down there in front of Greg and Eric and they go to mix it. They'll know which amp to pick, you know, uh, as it turned out, we used the Sansam plugin, the original one from the late nineties for everything for the, the cleanest games. <laughs> to the completely you know bizarrely distorted uh, and that that blew me away because that certainly wasn't the plan had i known that i i wouldn't have massed you know amassed such a, a pile of amps leading up to it but uh that's the fun part of course is just collecting amps but uh that that totally blew me away and uh, so i went back and i i just wanted to be absolutely sure it's like did we really do that did we just record a whole album and not use any amps but that's the truth and a sand and you, plug in. And you were totally happy with the uh, the tone and everything like that. I mean, it just, yes, yeah. And there's there's specific reasons, and uh, the, it's it's a bit of a long winded explanation. But I would I would say that back my earliest experiences being in a studio uh, when I was a young teenager, growing up on Long Island, I went into a place uh, I forget the name of the studio, and I brought you know my guitar i think i had a les paul deluxe or 
68 Tele or something. And I think I had a custom 250 amp, had all the effects that I wanted in there, reverb, vibrato, uh, some kind of weird chorus, distortion. Uh, and, and, uh, and the engineer quickly handed me a Telecaster, like an old one, like a broadcaster or something like that, and a, and a small Fender combo I'd never seen before. And he said, yeah, I think you should play through here. And we were doing a live recording, just me and an acoustic guitarist. And I struggled through this evening because it sounded horrible. It, I, if you can imagine, it was just a dry telly. And, but I thought, okay, it's, it sounds authentic, sounds really nice. And of course I go in the control room and it sounds like something entirely different. And this was the beginning of me realizing that ears and microphones hear things in completely different ways. Mm. And mm -hmm. the two really never get together. There's just so much going on with these two things on the side of your head as you move around. And the microphone is just sits in one place and hears one, you know, takes one snapshot. Um, I started to appreciate it as I, as I was working with engineers who had fantastic ears. They just had a way of hearing that was completely removed from the action of performing. Because as you're performing, you're expecting, and that changes how you hear. Because everything you hear back, you're going, oh, really? You know, an engineer is just sitting there going, this is reality. This is what's coming out. And I have to, you know, record it somehow. Uh, and I started to realize with, you know, John Cunaberti, especially that he had a real gift for knowing exactly what something sounded like, not tainted by emotion or the fact that he was feeling the strings or he had the pick in his hand, you know, or was counting mm -hmm. to remember the song. Uh, and it, it was a very interesting process, learning process about how when you play the setup most often is really about getting you to perform well. Once it gets on tape, as we used to record, it's somebody else's world of, of, of capturing it and, and manipulating it. But you, they really are two separate things. And uh, it's really best when you don't think about it as a, as a musician. You simply need to get this feeling that whatever you're playing through, it is following everything you're doing. And this is why I think I wound up with that sand sand. I found that with all kinds of modeling and uh, reamping, uh, going through something like a Waza amp or something like that, uh, that it still sounded like something got removed. And when I would listen, when I would A, B it against the sans amp track, I'd go, well, that sounds like there's more of me. It, it, uh, my brain is saying, Joe, you can't use that. That's a plug-in, <laughs> you know? Use the thing that's behind you that's really expensive and heavy, uh, you know, to move around. And, uh, but I kept saying, but how come that, you know, like in the studio where I've been mic'd a million times, it sounds like somehow 10%'s been removed. And, uh, and this plug-in sounds like it's 100% me, exactly what I played. And, uh, and, and, it blew me away, but that's what I, that's what I performed to. And mm -hmm. didn't surprise me too much, I guess, when Greg and Eric picked up on that and they said, yeah, we'll take that Sans amp. We'll, you know, we'll take it out of Pro Tools and we'll put it into a Fairchild or, or two, and we'll put it into uh, an LA-2A and, you know, a Pultec and, and we'll spank it up and it'll sound amazing. And it did, it just sounded 
more like me. And that was the point, you know, right. Hmm. Yeah, great. whatever works to get what you, you know, your end result. Yes. Anything that gets the end result that you're looking for is, is fine. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Totally. Oh, you know, one thing I wanted to mention also was Santiago, Santiago Al Alvarez. Yeah. Uh, Santiago was the one who introduced us. So uh, I want to thank Santiago. Uh, hope you're doing well, Santiago. Uh, we haven't spoken or talked in a while, but uh, what a good guy. So yeah, we communicate all the time. I should apologize actually to Santiago because I'm always bugging him about questions about amp design and stuff like that. Uh, unfortunately, I'm here in San Francisco. He's in Hong Kong. And mm -hmm. last years, it's been difficult for everyone to get around and, and meet up and uh, yeah, talk all the time about design. And he designed my favorite amp of all time, which is my signature JVM. Uh, I love that amp. And uh, so we always have a lot to talk about. I think we wish we could have made, you know, version two, three, and four. Uh, so um, maybe in the future. I was going to say, you never know. One day. Yeah. <laughs> One day. Um, are you still with Marshall? Um, no. Okay. That's really, you know, the way they run it, they go really quick uh, with their signature line. They, I, I have a feeling sometimes they come up with a uh, number, you know, internally, and they say, we're going to make X amount of these, and that'll be it. And mm. They, you know, and then they kind of don't mention it to you while you're going, hey, where are my amps? And then eventually you go, oh, I, I get it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Limited run is the is the word. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So, um, it's, a, you know, you know what it's like. It's a bit difficult to be an endorser un unless the company really is willing to follow uh, your creative urges, you know, and and you know, musical careers are crazy. I mean, and and I feel for the, the companies that have to try to follow what artists are doing and where they're going. Uh, however, um, it's really tough to, for an artist to say, you know, I'll only play this. It just, you know, yeah, counterintuitive <laughs> to making albums and, and uh, reacting to good things that come along and wanting to work with other engineers and designers. Um, but sometimes it works out, you know, for me, working with Ibanez really worked out because they they seem to be really open to some of the craziest ideas that the guitar players bring in. And they're responsive, from what I understand also. They're What's very responsive, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and they're willing to take in unusual ideas that come from outside, you know, from other companies. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, that, that's really important. I mean, uh, I tried it with uh, with Vox, um, and uh, th that's a whole other episode <laughs> of Tone Talk. I'm trying to <laughs> was that with the pedal, your signature pedal? Yeah, I had a, a, a Wawa and um, an overdrive, uh, a distortion pedal, and a delay pedal. And uh, yeah, wow, what a lesson in international manufacturing and cutthroat. Mm attitude between pedal manufacturers and uh yeah so yeah I, I it's fun it's great while while it lasts but it's it's something that i think every musician has to realize they, they're going to move on at some point you know right, sure. right that's cool um i do have a question actually first question will be from my cousin randy who by the way 
I saw you, Joe, one of my first concerts. Um, I saw you uh, at Summers on the Beach in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, wow. <laughs> do, you, do you remember that that gig? It's that like 88 or something like that? Yeah, it's got to be like, yeah, I was thinking late 87, 88. Uh, I think Jonathan Mover was playing drums for you at the yeah. time. Bert Hammond, Jonathan Mover, we were a trio. Uh, yeah, that was that was the the shows we did in between the Jagger tours that I was doing that year. Um, right, a lot of playing. It was it was great actually, but it was a lot of hard work. Two sets a night and all that kind of stuff. I bet. <laughs> that was a that was a great gig though. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, I think that was for the Surfing with the Alien tour, right? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Was, I have to point out that was the first time. I'd ever been a solo artist and played instrumental music, you know, mm. with Rio on stage. And the three of us had no idea what to do. I mean, the, the first time we went out in January of that year, we literally looked at each other like, well, what are we going to do when we walk out there? Because we all knew what it was like to play in a rock band, to jump around and to have a singer and, and you know, work songs like that. But we'd never done this, you know, and then right. and Stu were, way different from each other and i was different from them so we were coming from different musical backgrounds and every gig was a learning experience about what we could do uh and we slowly became more of a rock band, which is what i had hoped hmm. yeah well you guys sounded great that night from my memory of course it was a long time ago yeah. uh, <laughs> uh my um so my cousin said when you play do you think about using modes like, th like this is a minor chord and I'll use a Dorian mode or this is a dominant seventh chord and I'll use a Mixolinian mode. Uh, he said, when I try to use the modes, it gets all scrambled up in my head and I'm thinking too much. How do you deal with that? Uh, <laughs> um, well, the short answer is uh, I can't help it. There's a part of me that instantly figures it all out as soon as it gets the sound is in my ear. Um I, I trained myself when I was in high school, you know, to, to listen to music, to take it apart, to assign all the notes, uh, a number, to judge the difference between all of them. And uh, I memorized all the names <laughs> that, that you would call those distances between the, between the notes, whether they're being played harmonically or melodically. So that's just ear training. That's, that's what that's called. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it. Uh, you know, in let's say ninth grade, but by 10th grade, uh, the music teacher, Bill Westcott, uh, sat me down and started to teach me how to do that. Uh, so, um, I, I was able to hear somebody play a chord and know exactly what it was. And because I, I really wanted to know what my, uh, options were musically, I taught myself all the scales and, uh, at Bill's uh, uh, urging, he he got me to write down uh, the the intervals of all the different modes on flashcards. This is ancient stuff, but uh, <laughs> on flashcards. And probably people are going, "What's a flashcard?" <laughs> That's right, little pieces of cardboard, and. Uh, and, and, you know, on one side without the name of the mode, and then I'd write the name of the mode on the other. And then I would walk along uh, Northern State Parkway, which is in uh, the middle of uh, Westbury, Long Island. Uh, and I would sing these scales to myself. And 
and then to try to remember the difference between, you know, Phrygian dominant and Lydian and Aeolian and, you know, harmonic minor. And I would sing that. And then he had me singing not only, uh, you know, from one to seven and then the octave, but also one to two, one to three, one to four. And so the, his idea was that if it came from inside of you, that when you heard it coming at you, you'd remember it. Mm, wow. Mm visceral way and your your brain of course having gone over the numbers and the sounds you'd remember it intellectually and then if you practiced your instrument and you 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 know learned those scales everywhere on the instrument well then it was sort of instantaneous so uh yeah so if i'm sitting jamming with your cousin and he plays uh you know an a minor chord and he throws in an f sharp i before I even can think about it, I know it's a sixth and I know what minor scales have a major sixth. And then it's personality. Like, do I want to go against that? Mm -hmm. Rise out of the audience or do I want to go with it and just feel like I'm, you know, I'm fitting. Yeah. Smooth sailing. Yeah. So that's you're getting into like the psychology of music after that, you know, sometimes the, a, a note that's out of the scale is the one that really, can announce that you've arrived. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and Great. and how you get out of it is like you know is is the artistry of it, you know. Um, but sometimes it really is called for to just you know join the party, slip right in, and, and be with everybody else. You know, use the notes that are part of uh, the, the the harmonic structure. Now, was some of that ear training that you were doing was that all based through the guitar, or was some of that with piano or anything like that? I'm just curious. Yeah. And it was easier on piano because you could see it. Mm -hmm. But I was also a young guitarist by then. So um, I would, when I got home from school, I would pick up the guitar and I started doing it that way. And it's, it's boy, it's it doesn't sound rocking at all. So it was really hard to just turn that part of me off that just wanted to play Sabbath and Zeppelin and Hendrix. Mm -hmm start going do 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 you know and, and yeah. sing along painful for my for the rest of my family to hear me do that <laughs> <laughs> walk alongside the uh you know the parkway with the flashcards you know because uh, at least it was semi-private and um but uh, it it eventually you've got to you've got to learn the scales on the guitar so much that you never think about it and I, this is what how I used to tell my students uh, when I was teaching. I'd say, you know, you probably know uh, without even thinking about it how to get from your house, your apartment to your friend's house or apartment. And if you had to go six blocks away and then get back to where you live, uh, by the time you're a young kid, you probably know how to do that 15 different ways. There's just no way to get you lost in your own neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And then, but imagine if I take you to some other place, you know, if, if you grew up in LA and I just drop you to Quebec city and I, and I go find your way home, you don't know where you are. You're totally lost. And I said, that's kind of like what it's, you know, what it's like if I plop you right down in the middle of a song and I say it's E flat and you should probably improvise in Lydian dominant. And now, do you know where that is? <laughs> or, <laughs> Not yeah. I, no. city, <laughs> you know, so uh, I say, you know, this it's kind of like that. You have to think of your fretboard as your neighborhood. 
and you need to know it as well as you know how to get home every night, no matter where you are in your town. It's just, yeah. you can go anywhere you want. You can get a million ways to get home. And so that's what you have to do. You have to learn how to play every scale everywhere and you have to learn every note anywhere. And it sucks to learn it, you know? I mean, it just takes time. It's, I was um, gonna say, that's, that's a time consuming thing, but you know, and when you're a kid, it certainly is easier, I think, back then to do it. You know, it only really takes a couple of weeks even though that seems like an eternity when you're 14 or 16. Really? Because there's so many other fun things to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but that boy, once you learn it, you just never forget it. So uh, kind of like uh, in answering your, your cousin's question, it's like, I, I just don't think about it. It's just there. Right. Uh, well, that's cool. No, it's yeah. great. Uh, we have a super chat from Rick Harathunian who said that Dave worked on his amp his 6970 super lead and it was just a small token of his appreciation so uh i don't i don't know if i actually worked on it i think i helped him over email with it but um okay. but thank you very much uh we i want to try to get to some um non-super chat questions but i see that there's a bunch of super chats um zach baines does joe ever play straight into his amp without any effects yeah uh, you just got to, you don't turn them on. <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> uh, it's really no different, but I, I think I know uh, certainly anytime you hear um, a straight up guitar sound on any of my albums, that's just me playing straight into an amp. You know, we don't, we 99.9% uh, .9 of the time, there is no delay and hardly any chorus or anything, unless it's an unusual situation, like a live band recording. Like I know we some chicken foot stuff was done live in uh, Sammy's studio where we just set up whatever we had. Mm -hmm. Mics were put up and we were just having fun and it sounded good, so we left it, you know. But most of the time it's straight in. Um, and sometimes it's really fun uh, you're, you know, you're standing by your amp and other times it's so loud. You can't even be anywhere near it. I mean, when I was doing the extremist with Andy Johns, I had a, uh, maybe a 69 or a 70 full stack. And, um, it was, you know, it was, everything was on 10 and we just left the room. Mm -hmm. Great. You know, and, uh, <laughs> oh yeah. A lot of the rhythm tracks we did at Ocean Way was in the big room, and I had mm -hmm. my JS six, which is just a, 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 a you know, like so, like a cross between a, a Tele and an SG, so no whammy bar or anything like that. And I think they built me a little room, if I remember, sort of around the corner, uh, gobos with with plexiglass, so I could I could look at uh, Greg Bissonette playing drums. Um, but I was kind of shielded from my own sound. Um, but that's how we did all the, the live uh, rhythm tracks. Um, and then, you know, did all the overdubs. A lot of the stuff was done at record one, but it was the same thing. And he had a way of recording really loud marshals. That was a lot of fun. And, but you couldn't be in the room with it. It was piercing, right. just piercing the way he would mm -hmm. up. Uh, but as I said before, you know, microphones are totally different than, you know, the human ear. So he, you know, uh, Andy would put up seven different mics and he would come back in the control room and he would just play with them. And he had a, a uncanny way of 
judging phasing. It was really, it was just his body. He's, he could just tell when things were beautifully in phase and get rid of the fuzz and the flub. And I was amazed. I mean, when I listened to songs like Friends that starts off that album, I, I just can't believe how pure the guitar sounds because I remember how awful it sounded coming out of that amp. I think we rented it from uh, Andy Brower. Mm -hmm. a, Probably, like, yeah. Watt JMP or something like that, and uh, loud and nasty, and uh, but it, the way Andy recorded it was it was just genius, you know, it just sounded beautiful. Yeah, Andy was amazing. I mean, please, <laughs> really something. Yeah, uh, and then you know, years later, we did a Chicken Foot record together, and um, you know, he was really funny how he would be able to work with stuff and i remember we were doing a, a song called turn and left and and um <laughs> we started uh, i brought it into the band the demo was very complete in the key of d and we play that for about an hour everyone's really happy and and but andy comes in and he's not happy you know and i wish i could imitate him he was so funny <laughs> gigantic bear of a man would lumber in and go, oh no, come on. All right, Joe, let's try C-sharp. Okay, so we do it in C-sharp. We do that for an hour. And then he says, everything's great, but I think we should do it in C. So we start doing it in C. And meanwhile, uh, Mike, Anthony and I are looking at each other like, you know, this riff is getting harder and harder and harder. Please. <laughs> and but by the end of the day, uh, Andy says he's convinced that we need to do it in B. And uh, and so we protested by saying, okay, but this is it. Because if you go to B flat, there's no way we can play the riff. You know, it's just a funny riff, but you know, we our fingers can only stretch so far. And uh, he does one thing that was so interesting. He, at, at Skywalker, you know, it's a very big room. It holds a hundred piece orchestra. Mm -hmm. Got three ISO rooms at the end. Uh, Sam's in the far, uh, Sam's in the middle. Uh, Mike Space Amps in one, and I'm on the right. Uh, I've got um, two cabinets. I think I'm running th uh, that 5150, and um, it's up all the way. It sounds like a, I mean, it sounds like a Vegematic on 10. It's just thing making <laughs> so much noise. I can't imagine that he can get a recording out of it. But he he decides the last take. He says, you know, I'm just going to open the door. I know it's going to get all over the drums and it's just, but I just have a feeling about it. So he opens the door and we start doing this song and we we're getting to the end and uh, I hear Sammy screaming and I, I turn to the side and of course the speakers are now facing right at me and I'm getting all this crazy feedback. And of course, once we did that take, not only couldn't we play it again, but Andy of course comes in and he says, that's it. That's what we were looking for was that, noise to like be everywhere at Skywalker and and just getting the amp out of the ISO room and to into my car pickups seemed to, you know, just add that that one extra little degree of life that the song needed. And which song is this? Yeah, uh, it's turning left. I and, definitely have to check that out now that you <laughs> <laughs> I'm but sure I remember the rundown. We're gonna listen carefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was straight in. That's just, you know, me straight into the 5150. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, by the way, we were talking offline. Uh, Pete Thorne was watching. I'm not sure if he's still around, but what's up, Pete? He has a super uh, chat. Oh, does he? Yeah. Okay. I'll get to it. I promise. 
but I'm just going to try to go in order with folks. Otherwise, it's going to completely screw me up. <laughs> um, that's okay. Uh, yeah, he's he, there's one before him. Okay, cool. I, I will get to it shortly. Let me just scroll through it. Uh, right. I think this is the first one yep. uh, from Abraxas. Um, Abraxas, Time Machine will be 30 next year. Special release of additional songs from those four live performances, question mark. How about a bonus disc of live songs that have never been released in a live format? Thanks. Wow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> live recordings, that would be, I mean, it would be great if we had all the time in the world and and and, and a bunch of budgets, uh, you know, to match. Uh, it would be great to bring all those special nights uh, that happened uh, to the fans. Um, right now, we're, uh, you know, the biggest thing is this Atmos remixing stuff. And so we're working on a, a Surfing with the Alien Atmos mix right now. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, we're waiting to see really how that all pans out. Um, but that's a great idea. There, there were just really great live performances that were left in the vault because there was no place to put them in. That's great. Well, that would be cool. Thanks for the super chat, Abraxas. Uh, and next is Pete. What's up, Pete Thorne? Um, Joe, can you talk about when Surfing with the Alien hit big? I see you as a pioneer of instrumental rock. You had hit radio songs, exclamation point. Touring big crowds, the first to break that crowd on that level. Can you speak about it? Wow. Um, what a surprise it was. Um, uh I, I don't think I was really um, totally prepared for the good vibes that came from that. Um, and and uh, part of it was because it was so difficult to get the record finished because of the really teeny budget that we got from Relativity. And, um, you know, I had, a, I, I had to barter to get the record done. I did a lot of work for Sandy Parman and, and uh, Lois Cult, um, you know, trading hour for hour, my studio time for studio time to try to finish the album. For months did that uh, at High Street Studios. And then when we went down to Bernie Grumman's to master the record, we found half of the songs were not properly balanced with the stereo. And when, what we discovered was that they had been setting the studio up <laughs> improperly. So we had to go back and remix side one. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Which was crazy. Uh, and then did another trip down to Bernie's. Um, great job, uh, you know, just making, letting that record be what it was. But uh, I tell you this because I think John and I, John Kunibert and I thought it was the record that we really loved and for, for all its spirit that was in there it was really just a very positive uh, record. And, but we really were getting the feeling that we were gonna get run out of town <laughs> because <laughs> it was the thing that was not popular and everyone that would drop in the studio would look at us like, what are you guys doing? Like you're wasting your time. Mm. And the label was not really very happy with everything that we did. So we just thought, well, okay, we did it. We handed it in. Uh, you go back to your job and I'll go back to mine. <laughs> and so it gets released and all of a sudden it's on billboard. And I thought it was like some kind of a stake, you know, they called me and they said, Hey, you're like, you entered at 186 on the charts. And I thought, well, 
that there must be a mistake there. Like, <laughs> you know, and it keeps going up. And then the uh, Barry, uh, president of the company, calls me and he says, you know, you're going to have to go on tour. And I said, well, I don't have a band. I said, you know, I, this was a recording. This was not a, this was not like a band going into a studio or something. And he was like, well, you've got to take advantage of this. So I had to think about it. Like, do I really want to be an instrumental guitarist? Like that's not really a career description. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, yeah. Or at least it wasn't. Yeah. It was. <laughs> Until you. Right. <laughs> At my heroes, especially you know Jeff Beck, just pioneered that with with Blow by Blow and Wired and and the records before then, which I you know knew by heart and I just thought they were brilliant. But um, I was thinking, wow, this is I'm, I'm not getting into his territory, you know. Fact, mm -hmm. but there I was. I, I had a record that was moving up the charts, and we had to figure out a way to to bring it to the people. And um, I was humbled. Every time I, I talk to a DJ in Texas and New York or Chicago or LA, and they say they love the record and they're playing it top to bottom, you know, every Sunday evening or something like that. Uh, oh yeah, I, you couldn't you uh, couldn't escape it. It, yeah. was really, <laughs> it was really amazing. I mean, it was heartwarming, and 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 it was out of all the recordings I'd done up till then, I have to say it was the it was the luckiest that that was the one that got listened to because had I become popular for something else I did earlier, I wouldn't have been able to live with it. And mm. the whole thing where like a band puts out a record and there's one weird song on it that has really nothing to do with them. And it becomes a hit single and it kills the band, <laughs> you know, the success that mm -hmm. ruined that kind of story. We hear about it all the time. Yeah. Uh, it was the opposite because surfing was really, a heartfelt album for me and uh and it was the it was the best representation of my true personality so i had no problem going out standing behind it and wanting to play every song over and over again i still love playing the songs and so i got real lucky with that one that was a that was the, i think the real the goodwill behind the whole thing that that made it work for me as you were touring you know and that's that show that i saw you as you were you know, progressing Were the shows getting bigger and bigger as you were, you know, uh, for that tour or what did it take like the next album before you were getting bigger, bigger crowds? I'm just curious. Yeah, it did because we started in, it's really quite funny. I, I did a, um, my last lesson that I gave as a guitar teacher was to Kirk Hammett and we were having a good laugh about how I was about to go out and play instrumental music. And I had no idea what to do, you know. So, and he, and he was busy making a record as well with Metallica. So uh, I go off, we play, we have a three-week tour. Uh, Stuart Ham, Jonathan Mover, myself. Um, I think we started in San Diego. And um, we were playing, you know, 400 seaters, two sets a night, that kind of thing. By the end of the first week, my tour manager told me, we're going to lose about eight grand per week. And there's no way around it. And I'm, I remember, I think I was in Boston at the time. We just finished a gig where the where the opening band had rifled through my rack and tore it apart. <laughs> oh God! Oh, God. Good, goodwill from fellow musicians, right? They were doing <laughs> make me look bad. And um, uh, 
so I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, how am I going to get around this? Because this is not working out, even though the record's really hot on the charts and we're getting calls from MTV. I'm still, I can't get a, like a theater gig, you know, that would help pay for the bus and salaries and everything. And I got a call from a former agent who said, hey, how would you like to, you know, uh, go audition for Mick Jagger's solo band? And, you know, we laughed for about a minute because we knew that I wasn't the right guy for it. But we said, well, you got to go, right? You just got to check it out. And so I went to New York City. Uh, I had uh, a gig there at the bottom line. You guys ever been to the bottom line? Huh? No. Really, really small place, teeny strip of a stage with a pole. I mean, the, you know, typical little club. And we had sold out two nights, two shows a night. Uh, and they only gave us one fruit basket, by the way. I always like to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> one for both nights. <laughs> um, but uh, so anyway, but uh, before, so I landed in New York City the day before. I do the audition. I get the gig. I invite Mick to come and play uh, at the show just as a joke, just to come and jam. He says yes. He shows up. Uh, and to the shock of everybody there, he, he jumps on stage and he does Red House with us. It was really, really amazing. And things did start to change from there. Number one, I was able to cancel the rest of my dates, which was great because we were just losing money. But I spent the next two months uh, with Mick in New York and then in Japan. By the time I get back, things had changed a lot. Suddenly we were playing small theaters and clubs that were really big that were holding, you know, like the Fillmore, uh, mm -hmm. the Fillmore and uh, stuff like that. And that really helped quite a bit. And that lasted up until I went back with Mick in late September for the, the for the Down Under tour. Um, but as you pointed out, by the time uh, the next record came out, Flying in a Blue Dream, we had moved up. You know, we started the tour at the Santa Monica Civic. You know, we did play bigger places and it was really great. Mm -hmm. yeah. just to kind of spread our wings that way yeah i'm sure uh next question or dave you gonna you got something no 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 i was gonna say there you go pete there's your answer okay. <laughs> right. I'll, uh, I'll see you later pete i got questions for you yeah definitely that'd be awesome um and I, I have a, another question about surfing with the alien, but I want to make sure I get to some folks' questions for sure. Uh, Rob's Tone Zone, thank you for your for your question, man. Uh, Joe, I'd like to say thank you for all the years of great albums and for inspiring us all. Your tone and vibrato are always flawless. Uh, do you ever pick up a Les Paul? I've seen you play a Les Paul special, uh, doing some surf or at least a surfing song, and you did the you did the freaking like uh, the the whammy bar stuff without even the whammy bar. I was like, Oh my God, he's doing awesome shit here. Um, but what is your favorite amp rig you've ever had? Oh, uh, it really depends. Uh, yes, I do, uh, play LS Paul. Um, I've got a couple, uh, that I really like and they always wind up doing something on every album. Uh, same with, uh, telecasters and strats, maybe a telly most of the time. I've had a, uh, a 58 Esquire uh, that Chris Kelly found for me many years ago. I guess it was back in 92. And I love that guitar, that thing. I remember doing uh, quite a bit of stuff plugging into that Wells amp, that little one that's behind me there. Um, Matt Wells built that thing. It's only about five of them, 
that he ever made. Um, and it's sort of like a uh, AC-30 and, a, and some kind of small Marshall and a small thing, you know, it's, I, I don't know how to explain it, um, but that into a vintage four by 12 and just plugging straight into it. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a great sound. Um, you really have to know what you want to play though. There's very little to rely on except talent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you have a Sustaniac and a whammy bar, you can get away with a lot, you know? <laughs> um, but when you're playing a telly, yeah, that's one of those things that makes or breaks a man, you know, it's, you've got to be able to really play. So um, I do really enjoy it. And uh, it's one of those things I really love. Um, I've played, I've had, God, a lot of Les Paul specials, Les Paul juniors, um, always played them. I remember I did a gig with, uh, I think, Matt Bissonette and um, Vinnie Caliuto. It was, it was one of the, it was the second, uh, Les Paul birthday party. That was the one we did in LA. I think that's um, the show that I saw where you were playing. Yeah. 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 And then it was Mike Pierce let me that, that particular one. Um, teeny frets. Wow. That was rough. That was, mm. and thing just love to go out of tune. I just, that was, <laughs> uh, it may have been a junior, right? Am I wrong on that? Or was it a, no, I think it was a special. It, it was a special. Okay. Uh, TV, TV yellow. And, yeah. uh, uh, yeah. Uh, the, I think at the first Les Paul party at Carnegie Hall, I, I, I played a Les Paul that, that Neil Sean had given me uh, with a huge 58 neck, just a big, mm. um, but they're, they're great guitars, you know, those guitars made in the fifties, amazing designs, just amazing. Yeah. They, they got them yeah. right for sure. Sure. Uh, DSL, what's up? Hey Joe, I'm a big fan of your work with chicken foot. How was the song How was the songwriting worked out, and what was it like to play with those cats? Oh, great! It was a crazy roller coaster ride. A um, lot of fun, I imagine. Yeah, every measure, every beat, you've got to just be really on your toes. There's no zoning out into your own world. <laughs> <laughs> just the way the band operated. Um, you know, the way that it got started was quite interesting because. It was a jam that I got invited to uh, in Las Vegas. It turned out so good. Everybody wanted to do it, turn it into a band. And then uh, since Sammy and I lived pretty close to each other, we just met at a studio and went over a bunch of songs I had started writing. And uh, then about a month later, uh, we decided we're going to get together for three or four days and try to record something. And so uh, I wound up bringing a lot of like completed demos where I had like a drum machine and I played bass and a bunch of guitars and left a lot of room for uh, everyone to put in their two cents. And, uh, but we never really knew what we were gonna play until the fun sort of settled down that morning and somebody would say, Joe, what's that song called? I really like that one, let's try that one. And we'd suddenly start to, you know, get our gig together and we'd, you know, someone would say, can I change this note? How about this? Can we do this? You know, and can I do that? And we try it. And all of a sudden it was recorded and it was finished and we do another one and we get two songs done. And that's what was on the album. We just added stuff to what was there. Hmm. Uh, and sometimes it was in, like really innocent stuff. Like I remember Soap on the Rope. I think we were out just having a party and uh, Sammy said something about how he loves songs where the band stops, the singer sings, the band comes back in. It was just mm. like a little three-second comment. 
I went and I wrote this song and I, I bring it in and they decide we're going to do that today. And of course, we hadn't really worked it out at all. But what you hear on the album is our attempt at remembering what we had just discussed, like, you know, a second mm -hmm. or and, uh, and boy, I think that was, I think I was playing into uh, a saturator pedal into, um, uh, into my PVJSX amp. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, I, I think it was in the room with Chad. I mean, it was some, that room is small, Sammy studio. So it's like a pressure cooker when you're recording in there. But Sam would stand there and sing live. I mean, it's just insane. Um, yeah, he's he's insane. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. He's, he's, he's louder than than the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's great yeah, singer. He sure is. He definitely is. He still sounds great. Um, fixed pedal boards. Uh, I just want to say Shazam, unreal guest on the Unreal Show. Oh, Thank thanks, you, Tim. Man. Thanks, Jim. Uh, it's Tim. Tim. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Tim, uh, Jim is our metal fabricator for Friedman Amps. Oh, so he runs right. the company that makes everything metal. <laughs> so basically, uh, you know, large cake pans, as he put it. <laughs> but it's integral. Without them, <laughs> it's integral. Without it, we don't have an amp. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, uh, CT Huskies, awesome show with Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Keith Campbell, uh, used to live listening uh, to Joe on 89.5 WSOU Pirate Radio with Stacy X behind the mic. Mm. I'm not sure where that is. But me, me either. I wonder where that is. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Um, more guitars. Mm -hmm. Thank you. When I was in college, 94 to 98, I worked in Seacliff and would run into your mom often, and she would adorably light up and talk about you. Loved her. Now, can Dave please build you the amp of your dreams, please? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, Dave, you know, the thing that is always so uh, funny about what, uh, what I do is that it's counter to what I hear other people uh, players do so well and I really love you know listening to other players play uh, through through your amps and uh, a lot of other amps that I always think oh that'd be great for me and then I get it home and it doesn't work for what I do mm -hmm. which is almost wall-to-wall -wall melodies and solos uh, you know I got no singer in the band so uh, when when an amp gets thin and angry and screaming on top I go well that'll work for a solo but it's not going to work for two hours of melodies that go above the 12th fret. So I'm always looking for an amp that's gonna keep the sound very big and round all the way up to the 24th fret. And, um, you know, they, they just don't really make a lot of amps like that, that do that. Um, right. When they do, the amps kind of underperform in the rhythm, you know. Uh, I, uh, I totally understand that, sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah and you, so you gotta choose you need a fatness and a thickness for the the single note melody stuff, but you need a and with lots of with a, a good amount of gain, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, totally understand rhythm. It doesn't work. <laughs> it, it's really interesting, uh, unless you know you just change the style. Now I'm I'm lucky that I create my own world, you know, and and I have a good relationship with my fans. They 
when when I show up to play, they expect to hear that whirl. So I've I've been able to uh, work around it. And Santiago built me this amp that just keeps those notes beautifully and you know thick and round all the way up. Um, but I play around with the guitar's volume control and high pass filters and things like that to try to mimic those things that that I love. Like you know when I'm hearing Pete play, you know demo one of your amps or. Mm -hmm. Steve Stevens or Jerry Cantrell or something like go like oh yeah that's great I gotta right. get <laughs> <laughs> well you know we can always work on something yes um yeah good idea that would be great absolutely I'd love to see it uh Equinox thank you uh hey Joe longtime fan and guitar hero uh me and some folks on here would like to know your guitar heroes and who you looked looked up to and have. Oh, Hendrix, uh, you know, uh, my number one, and uh, I still can't believe he did what he did. It's just freaky. Every once in a while, and I, uh, you know, I'll get the courage to, uh, to to listen to Machine Gun Live from the Fillmore again. It's, you know, just, somebody could do that live, you know, it's absolutely amazing. And, and, you know, and that was 1969, you know. Just crazy when you think of the tools that he had. That's all he had with him. It's, it's just amazing. But I grew up listening to, uh, you know, the music of my older siblings uh, that they were listening to in their late fifties, early sixties, and didn't start playing till nineteen seventy. I was a drummer when I was uh, a little bit younger, when I was nine years old. So I loved the Beatles and the Stones and everything that you know from sixty six on really started to build that foundation of what i thought felt really great with music. um and so you know jimmy page and tony iomi uh jeff beck pete townsend keith richards it's really mm. pete townsend i i always feel pete townsend is underrated you know for for what he did and it was quite amazing actually when you listen to some isolated things and how he embellished on things and yeah, I, I got the feeling he was jamming along to the tracks, you know, because it's it's never the same thing twice, you know. It's a yeah. beautiful uh, thing that he did. Yeah, yeah. You just amazing. Uh, you know, I work with uh, Glenn Johns, and and I remember uh, I was would grill Glenn about working with Pete, and and so many times he he would shock me, telling me that some song I asked him about, you know, Pete had played acoustic guitar and did the vocal live <laughs> right you know, for the album and i'd be like what you know that's, yeah that a lot of people forget that performing for an audience and a and the tape machine in a studio is an art form unto itself and it's a real specific set of talents that it's very different from just technic you know technical talents of being able to play difficult passages yeah it's different than composing and and uh, and remembering your steps, you know, where your lighting cue is and all that kind of stuff. But Pete was out of control. I mean, he just could really sell music and lift the spirits of the audience. Like, like yeah, yeah. I agree. I'm a big fan. Yeah, huge. Uh, he was just along with Jimmy Page and, and yeah. most of the people you yeah. just mentioned, of course. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy, God, he was such a are so courageous mm -hmm. god 
<laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, George Russell. Uh, hey, Joe, met you in Glasgow uh, 2014. I'll never forget it. You signed my premium JS and drew an alien on it. Uh, what what encouraged you to go to E flat over standard tuning, uh, doing stuff with chicken foot? Yeah, that was it. Um, yeah, I was using nines at standard pitch up until uh, I started playing with Sammy, and they they had already started. Uh, Sammy and the, and, the, and the Wabos, I guess, were down at E flat, and it seemed to make sense uh, for all the stuff that uh, both Sam and Mike had to sing. Although I think Mike can say anything. He's just like, his voice is inhuman. It's just what <laughs> you just don't want to be in front of him when he. He's <laughs> loud, huh? Right. When he gets that scream going. To the side a few feet. Um, and, and I got used to it, but I had to go up to using tens because I didn't like the floppiness of, of the nine. So, right. And then uh, we did, a. I would seem like maybe two or four years where uh, my tech, Mike Manning and I, we, decided to have two sets of guitars and it just got too confusing for me and so i just said okay let's just make everything e flat use tens let's see what that feels like and i got into it i started to i kind of dug the low end that was coming off the guitar a little bit more mm -hmm. uh, and that you know the js's are not huge guitars um you know they're not like a big chunk of wood you know like a les paul or something so i noticed right away that some good things came from that from using mm. a heavier string sounded bigger yeah yeah uh john deshane and by the way i know we have about uh three or four minutes left with you joe um so we'll try to get as many questions as we can before that john deshane uh joe echoes live off time machine has a killer tone clean and dirty super punchy what amp were you using for that also ever uh tried dave's amps Yes, yes, of course. Dave and I were talking about that before the show. The, we we almost got there. Great amps and what was it? What did I say? I was looking for. I was chasing some sort of two point five k thing. Yeah, uh, I never quite figured it out. But we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> um, I'm glad you like that tone from from that uh, era. But that was uh, a Japanese DS one. I mean, that was my prototype of uh, of the the JS guitar into a a DS one into some Marshall, which I'm sure was one of the ones that got stolen, and uh, it wasn't anything that special, but it was set up to be clean, so all the all the dirt was coming from uh, the DS one. Mm. I you know it's a funny thing. I mean, uh, um, I don't want to go on and on about it, but there is something to solid state. Uh, distortion uh, meeting up with uh, a, a really nice tube amp. It's really an interesting tactile thing that I enjoy, even though I know it doesn't sound like my heroes, you know, it doesn't sound like Jimmy Page going, you know, right into a Marshall or, or Hendrix turning up and having a germanium fuzz box or something. Mm -hmm. But it's a thing and it's it's something I played with for many years in front of, in front of thousands of people and made records with them and um, I only wish the DS1 would go to 10, but it doesn't. It really stops at about eight and a half. <laughs> You're like looking around like, what's? I just need another 1.5 of gain. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, fixed pedal boards, you get the last question for Joe um, before he has to run. 1991, the Nightbreak 
band with gasoline was gasoline singer and blood brothers bryson was auditioning for joe as a possible vocalist something bill graham set up remains my most nerve-wracking hour of guitar self-doubt to this day again awesome show guys um do you, do you remember that wow uh I am trying to remember uh, the. There was a period where I had a um, a second deal with Epic Records through uh, Bob Pfeiffer, and we were looking for uh, a vocalist. Uh, but I seem to remember that must have been 1992, uh, because I was still with uh, Greg and Matt Bissonette and and Phil Ashley. It was a four piece band, and that was the time. So 91. Um, couldn't have been 91. <laughs> I just, I can't imagine it was 91 uh, mm. looking for a singer during that time. Um, but there was a lot of things that happened uh, in, in 91 that were so, uh, so traumatic. So uh, for me, so uh, I'm not surprised um, that I would block some of that out, but <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, hey, Joe, I just want to thank you so much uh, for coming on. Uh, the Axis Bold, no question, just love the show. Thanks for doing this. I want to thank you, Joe, for doing this. Um, yeah, really thank you very much. Pleasure meeting you. Um, and uh, thank your your agent for helping me set this up with you as well. Um, really appreciate it. Um, and uh, so, guys, definitely buy Joe's latest album. It's called Elephants of Mars. Definitely purchase that. And then also you're starting touring, right? Uh, in September, I believe, right? Yeah, we hit the road. If you go to saturani.com, you'll see the tour dates. Uh, I forget what the first date is, but it's in late September. And uh, we'll be all the way across the U.S. Uh, up until Thanksgiving. So, yeah. Wow. Right, we'll see. Cool. Yeah, I'll actually, you're going you're gonna to be here in Florida November 11th. So hopefully I'll get a chance to see you. That'd be great, yeah. Yeah, love it. We'll definitely yeah. All right. Well, Joe, thank you so much. Thank you for Joe. joining. Well, uh, we're going to stay on for just a few more minutes afterward, just to uh, take any other questions from folks, right. Dave and I. So you can, you can jump off whenever you like. Okay. Thanks guys. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Talk okay. to you soon. Take Bye. care. All right. All right. Wasn't that cool guys? Sorry, I didn't get to some of your uh, super chats. Um, I think that there wasn't too many, but um, a couple. But Joe only had so much time, so I apologize for that. I will actually, I'm going to take a picture of the ones that were missed, and I'll send Joe an email and see if he can just answer them for us, and I'll put it in the chat. Um, do my very best for everybody. Don't want anybody to feel left out. Um, this one from Gavin T. Uh, here's one from Nico and Katie Dax. I think this was for you. Uh, Dave did re rehauled my 73 uh, hand-wired 59 Super Lead, opened a whole new world with a Varac and other tube nerdiness. Wait, hold on. Long story. <laughs> oh, yeah? You know this one? No, no. Hold on. Okay. All right. No problem. Um, I can't. I'm... I'm tied up right now, but cool. Uh, I, I can't come out there right now. Oh, okay. I need a new check. Everything okay? Uh, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's high outside. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah, no problem. Next time. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> I was having my car detailed. Oh. And the guy wanted to tell me something or show me something. And then I was like, tough. We can't do it right now. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Um, no, no, it's no problem. Okay. Uh, Gavin I'm T. <laughs> If guitar was direct on OEM, what delays and modulations plugins? I assume. I guess this question was for. Yeah, that was for Joe. Joe. Oh, and the right. Katie Dax one. Yes, I I reworked his Marshall. Of course, I don't actually remember now exactly what I did, but yeah. Okay. Um, I get a lot of amps, you know, and people are like, "Remember what you did to this?" And I'm like, um, "No." <laughs> yeah it's hard to remember i mean there's a, a lot of amps that come through my hands in a year so let's see we've got um i remember the names more so than the amps uh guitar get yard simreg uh i will get your question i'll send that over to joe uh see what i can do uh and then also leonard rodriguez um let's see did he have a question um, no, Joe, I'll never get my first show with you and Eric Johnson in Fresno. Wow, electric. I miss back to Shala Ball. I have not seen you perform it since. Best wishes. Cool. Thank you. Um, let me see what else we got. That was awesome with Joe. What a nice guy. Yeah, super nice. Really, really cool guy. Um, let's see. What else am I getting here? Am I missing this anybody else? Good, this I found a question in here that would have been a good uh, question to ask him. Maybe you can ask him after the fact. Mm. Uh, the younger generation gets a lot of hate, but are there any young guitar players that Joe is a fan of? Mm, okay. That would have been good. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he'll say Sammy Bowler. <laughs> yeah. Sammy won a, a Joe Satriani guitar competition or some sort of something early on in his um, childhood. Really? Yeah. Uh, look it up. Uh, it, uh, yeah. It's on YouTube? Well, <clears throat> I don't remember the exact what it was exactly, but he, he won some sort of something like that. Yeah. Uh, he's a monster, obviously. <laughs> uh, he's he's so awesome. Yeah, yeah. Great player. He can basically play anything, really. Um, Gavin T. Again, thanks, Joe, for coming on the show. Thank you, Mark and Dave, for helping us all have better tone. Oh. Oh, here's one um, from uh, Purposeful Purpose, Porpoise, however you say that. Um, Dave, a lot of people say that a brown face fender are a tweed with added highs. That's not exactly true. Um, isn't that just a Marshall, he said. Um, there are some tweed fenders that are very much Marshalls, like tweed twins, for instance, are very much a Marshall. Uh, ba well, basement, well, the Marshall came from the basement. So, uh, so I guess actually fenders were the first, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, the brown face is not necessarily anything to do with the Marshall though. It's great sound though. Sounds close. Sounds close, but the circuit's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I was playing my, um, my Sir Ombre. Yeah. Yeah. No, it can sound totally r uh, raunchy. Yeah, and raunchy cool. and yeah, got throaty. 
you know it's got i can get it definitely get throaty um so fixed pedal boards tim said uh it probably was 92 there's been many a many a gallon of fermented grain sucked up since then <laughs> well yeah a long time ago there was a lot you haven't drank in years though <laughs> uh. <laughs> at least i don't think <laughs> gotcha uh amanda coombs you did a great job mark oh thank you uh dave did a good job too but <laughs> <laughs> but mark leads the show he speaks more i i do the more the i job. just i just uh just butt in every once in a while and uh, you know it's funny you have to butt in every once in a while uh, with with this you know you have to kind of try to sneak your comment in because otherwise you'd sit here in silence forever yeah that's true uh i i love when you jump in trust me when it when it when it's uh you know you, you know otherwise you'll be in the penalty box feeling shame what movie is that from slapstick slapshot Slapshot. Okay. <laughs> I, okay. One of my most favorite movies of all time. I know you've told. I've seen scenes from it, but I've I haven't. You seen have the whole, to watch the whole movie. You can I get know. it on Amazon. You okay. Can, you can. You might have to buy it, but it's not very much. Like ten bucks or something. It's probably. I'm sure it's probably on Netflix or something. No, it might not be. I mean, scenes really? are for sure, but the whole thing. I remember. I had actually, uh, when I looked for it, I had to buy it. But it, it 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 was not a nominal amount of money. It wasn't right. you know anything big. But oh my god, it's the if you've never seen the whole movie, you have to see the whole movie. Anyone like Slapshot? Come on. Uh, I mean, Come I, on. I, I, it's yeah, it's a great movie. I'm, I know that it is. I mean, the scene with those two those two brothers is great. Uh, Rummy, Mark overlooked my super chat. Really sorry, dude. If I did. I, and I apologize to anybody if I missed your super chat. I know we only had a, super, a, a limited amount of time with Joe. So if I miss anything, I'm going to go through again, I promise, and get try to get as many questions as I can from Joe answered once we get off. Um, do my best. You know, we uh, got all the slap shot comments now. It's Hanson Brothers, yes. The Hanson Brothers, yeah, there you go. <laughs> they were great. Oh, it's uh, someone says it's on Peacock for free. Oh, uh, I, of course I don't get Peacock. So. Well, there you go. Then uh, I'll buy I pay it. for every other one that though. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. Remember cutting the cord? You know, supposed to save yourself some money. Yeah, it doesn't, no. it doesn't save you any money. No, not at all. I've got all these individual things. I wish they would have a company that just combines all of them into one overall service fee. You know? I don't even know where all of them are coming out anymore. Like I, I don't know. Some are coming off this credit card. Other ones are coming off. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the other. And thing I don't too. even. I can't even add them all up. I, I just have. I can't like. Right. Where? Where? Wait. What's that? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's so true. It is so true. Oh, Peacock has a free option, I believe. Oh, he says. I don't know. Uh, David Gray, love you go to, to the box and feel shame. <laughs> <laughs> there's the opening there's the opening sequence of Slapshot which you get on YouTube that is hysterical is with the French uh, French Canadian goalie and it it's just to die for. <laughs> awesome, I'm going to check it out. Um you will okay, Mark, here's a, it was very simple. You have to get stoned. Okay. 
And then you got to watch Slop Shop. <laughs> you will have a good old time. Okay. All right. It's, I, I know. I know. It's I, I, like I said, I remember watching those brothers kicking the crap out of everybody. It was so funny. Oh, yeah. No. Paul Newman's great. And it's awesome. Oh, that's right. Paul but Newman. But they're just some of the best one liners ever. Ever um, in that. Zach Baines are 5881s tighter sounding than 6L6s? Uh, yeah. Which which fifty eight eighty one? Which six L six? I mean, every every brand of tube, like so. So let's say you have um, old vintage fifty eight eighty ones or Sovtech fifty eight eighty ones, which really aren't fifty eight eighty ones. They were another military tube, but they just branded it a fifty eight eighty one. But they also called it a six L six. So which tubes? <laughs> they all sound different. Every six L six, every fifty eight eighty one, they all sound different. So you, you, there's not, it's not cut or dry like that. Okay. Uh, Dave Shaw, Dave, have you worked on many JSX amps? I recap None ever. Oh yeah. Uh, nope. Wasn't the really you recap your combo? You really had to recap that new of an amp, or are you talking about the PV one? Well, the G JSX was PV, yeah. PV. Yeah. yeah no. I don't think I've ever worked on one of those. They they weren't that common, really. At least for um, at least for me, I never saw them much. I haven't even seen a JVM ever. I've seen other JVMs, but not not Joe's. Hmm. Um, another Jakey e. Lee. It's in the works. We want to bring you something really big, and whether I can do it or not, I don't know. So we'll try, you know, it'll be Jake with someone else. If, if it can, if I can talk to someone else into doing it. <clears throat> All right. Um, Either that or had this idea and I'll pass this by you guys live now. Um, I also had this idea of filming a segment to put up on our YouTube. Um, where it's sort of a little round table that's actually professionally filmed with a couple, uh, well, Jake and someone else to be unnamed. Um, at least we have the, the option to, you know, curate the content a bit maybe. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, that might be kind of cool also. Yeah. But of course, Mark will have to fly here to do that. I would, do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> so, what day? When? <laughs> you, you give me just a week's notice and I'll be there. Um, Plane flights are expensive these days. They are. <sighs> yeah. That's what so is yeah, like flying across the country now, or I don't know what it is to Florida exactly, but like if I was going to fly to Detroit right now, you know, the average thing is about 700. Mm, this is the average coach ticket. Uh, used to be like 400 Four. 450. Yeah, I was gonna say three. I think even when I saw you last, it was like a 350 flight that we got. It was cheap. Yeah, that was I mean that's exceptionally good, but you know, I, I would consider 450. But that was still during the pandemic. You used to be able to get first class for like eleven hundred. Now yeah. it's seventeen hundred. Oh god. Um so yeah, we're we're gonna work on Jakey e. Lee. Um we'll 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 do it. Uh, yes, if you were, or if you just joined and you came late, Joe was only here for an hour. Um, we apologize. 
Yeah, it's okay. You you know, it. But you can go back and watch it now. Yes, you can always rewind. Uh, you won't be charged like those blockbuster days um, if you don't rewind. Um, remember that? Be kind, rewind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be kind, rewind. Uh, blockbuster <laughs> or whatever video store, right? Uh, yep. Uh, I miss that. I kind of miss that. I do too. You know, like you, you'd, you'd go out and you go, okay, it's the weekend and I want to get a few movies. And you go to the store and you look around at all the new released aisle, aisle of course, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they'd have all these new releases all down the wall. And then, you know, you'd pick easily like three movies. I was going to say something. three movies, yep, for the weekend. And you, you, you'd bring them home and, you know, you put them in. You watch them, and and you know it's 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 maybe it seems to me like there used to be more new movies, or maybe it was just easier when you looked at the wall. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, it seemed like there were more new releases back then. Um, often now now it's now it's like someone gave me like um, uh, for instance, Jakey e. Lee. Last time I saw him, which was recently, um, he he gave me one of his solo record CDs. He goes, I don't know if you have this, but here. And uh and like I have it. It's in my car still. And I'm like, I, I where can I play this? <laughs> I don't have a CD player. Right. Exactly. I don't have anything. I mean, I, I literally I, even the computers don't have anything to play them in. I, you know, I'd have to plug I get something and plug it into the computer. Um in order to pl- I just don't have that, you know. I have a turntable, but I don't have a CD player anymore. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? They don't make computers with CD players anymore. No, like, no, no. I, no. I got a new Mac and there's no, my, I'm no, the there's no, no, I haven't had a, I haven't had something in my Mac for years. Yeah. My brother keeps asking me because, you know, he, he's, you can get a USB thing you can plug yeah, in. Yeah. You can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing. <laughs> I have a bunch of old CDs too. I, I mean, they're all ported into my iTunes, but, um, I'm sure there's some that aren't actually. <laughs> uh, here's a good question. Uh, have you ever tried to get Larry DiMarzio on? Yes, we have. We did. Uh, no, we didn't try to get Larry on. I think we tried to get Steve Blucher on. Oh, you're right. You're right. Uh, Larry was on, uh, I think, with uh, Pete Thorne. So we could. Actually, I'd really like to talk to Larry or Steve Blucher. I, I'm going to try to see if I can facilitate that. Yeah, I'd really yeah. like to talk with Steve, actually, because Steve's the one that has been designing the major pickups in the last, you know, million years. And I do know him well if I can get and get him. So I might be able to. Okay. Um, by the way, I know we're working on uh, new guests coming in uh, June, so uh, we'll make announcements for that. I know uh, we've got Red 7. Luca from Red 7 is going to be coming on. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Rob Doug Aldridge. From, Doug Aldridge, Rob from, uh, from Diodario, um, and... There's other other folks. Obviously, we're working on Jerry Cantrell's. Uh, yeah, the Jerry Cantrell was a yes. It just when we how we can schedule it. He was touring at the time, so yeah. um, so 
And of course, I agree with this statement. Gilmore or Page would be the ultimate guest. And Beck. I wish. Yeah, I wish is right. Uh, I've been think I've been scratching my head trying to figure out that one for a while. <laughs> to get to get Jimmy Page. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I I I would love that, and actually, he loves to talk gear, so it would be a great, great thing. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't know how. <laughs> if if it could ever happen, if anyone has any connection to Jimmy Page out there, let's just throw that out there right now. If yeah. anyone has any, if you know, you know his hairstylist or something, <laughs> let us know. He's still got a good head of hair too. Yeah. Um, uh, this is a good question. Drinking with Pete still on the menu? Definitely. Oh, yes. We, we did talk about that, didn't we? Yes. yes. That's definitely. Yeah, Peter list. and I have been like going back and forth on like what the hell we're going to drink, actually. And because and if, we, if we drink something like tequila, for instance, It'll be a short we won't show. be able to talk <laughs> after a while. So uh, we, have to, we have to think about this a little bit. But yeah. I think that's the point. But it, you know, it will be for. Uh, and we, we also have to set some guidelines with that show. Yeah, uh, it will be for super chats for the drink. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to set some guidelines on the. You can't. Uh, a dollar does not get you a drink. <laughs> right, right, it, exactly. Right, because if so, we'll be we'll be just fucking. Uh, we won't be able to make. You know, we'll be done. Uh, here's a question, and no. I didn't ask about the VH tour rumors. Um, he recently just talked about it also. Um, I did want to ask him. I, I just, it's just, yeah, goes to, it's better. Nah, leave that alone. Yeah. Uh, there were a few questions that people wanted me to, to ask of him. Um, I know the Ooh, VH tour. Amanda Coombs goes $25 an ounce. Ah, see now. I like what you're thinking there. That 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 that, <laughs> might, that might work. That's a, that's a good figure. Uh, that's a good figure. I agree with that. I don't know uh, how we're going to figure out exactly the ounce, but well, you get a shot glass. Yeah, I guess. So X, X number of ounces in a. Well, how many ounces are in a shot? I have no idea. I thought one ounce is a shot. It's one ounce a shot. Uh, I'm going to look it up. No, I don't think so. Good question. I'm not a bartender. Uh, a shot referred to as a peg is a small uh, 120 milliliter shot. Oh. Now you got to do, do. Yeah, I don't. Oh, 0. 0.67 ounces. So 0. 0.67 ounces? It, How many ounces in a shot glass? It says the size of a shot glass actually varies from country from 0.67 ounces to just over two ounces. I don't know if I've ever seen a 0.67 ounce shot glass. I think it's closer to two. Uh, Okay. But okay, yeah. All right. $25, uh, yeah. A shot. Yeah. We're close to it. Uh, Interesting. Okay. Um, Let's see what else. Uh, so sorry we didn't ask about the VH tour rumors. There was also someone sent me an interesting. There was a video. You know, you you know who McRocklin is. I know that name. He's like a f- famous YouTube guitar player who. Yeah. He's a real shredder, and uh, he like was an apprentice of Steve Vai. Like, yeah. A very young kid. Um. So apparently he 
he made a video about his experience with Joe where like he was he was uh on you know tour I, I think I just saw this yeah and what, I, what so, looking at yeah people were asking me to to ask that about that with him and I was like no I'm not gonna ambush the guy with that um All right just that's not cool so uh John um, Shane bring bring Pete and Dave a bucket <laughs> fuck <laughs> Oh man. Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the straight guy on that one. Um let's see. Am I missing anybody other any other questions? Mark's gonna sip non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> one ounce a shot. Here's Pete says one ounce a shot. Oh god. Amanda, one ounce is a shot. That's what I thought. $25 per shot. I don't know. I don't know if that works. And then some people say 1.5 ounce. I'm not trying to be greedy, but you know, you got to be. Now, now, some people are saying 1.5 ounces a shot. Um, by the way, Vinny, if you if you had a super chat, send it to me. Also. Oh, here we go. Five dollars a sip. <laughs> That's a lot. Um, how about Scott Ian on the show? Uh, yeah, you know, I what? can do that. We could do that. Yeah, Mike Tempesta. I can do. I can do Scott. I know Scott. Oh, do you? Mm-hmm. He's been everywhere, man. I'd love to talk to him about his son. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He yeah. and his son are killing it. I love watching his son on the drums. It's fucking awesome. The sticks are bigger than he is, but, <laughs> you know. But he's just like he's pounding on those fucking things. He's he, yeah, he's great. Um, let's see. Any other questions? Because I know I got to run. Um, yeah, McRocklin has an awesome channel. He's an amazing player. I mean, that guy is just insane. See, uh, Pete, Pete is clarifying now. He goes, your average margarita is like 1.5 to 2 shots of tequila and maybe a half shot of Cointreau. Okay. Okay, that's a margarita. And that's Is that a frozen margarita? <laughs> or No, margaritas aren't. It's a bad idea. Frozen uh, margaritas are not margaritas, sir. Oh, my God. I'm such a lightweight. I'm sorry. it's like do you want it to be strawberry too with a little umbrella (laughs) (laughs) uh that won't happen on this show okay (laughs) i'll be kicked Um, off before that happens you'll be kicked off (laughs) i'm done that's funny it's like we always used to joke because my um my partner and Friedman and and stuff uh, is is kind of like he likes kind of fruity drinks and things, and so like uh, I remember an old employee, we were at some uh, amp show or something, and uh, he had to go to the bar to order the drinks for the table, and and he goes, can I, can I have a uh, a lemon drop, <laughs> and, and a shot and a shot of Jack Daniels, please. <laughs> Lemon drops, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> and the sex on the beach as well. Um, you remember that? Uh, Vinny. Uh, yeah, I totally remember that. Mark, Dave, contest and or buy-in to let a Tone Talk fan join the Drink with Pete episode. Ooh, that's an interesting thought. Contest. You could do some sort of contest, maybe. Yeah, interesting. Oh, I know that's interesting. Yeah. I like your thinking, Vinny. I like it. Yeah. Okay. We're just formulating live on on uh, <laughs> OP Thorn. Yeah, Rob likes Cosmos. 
<laughs> Does he? Rob likes uh, Cosmos. Yeah, that, that's the the Cosmos. They eat lemon drop too. Oh, I'm gonna have to make fun of Rob. I'll definitely yeah. have to make fun of him. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that's now, funny. now here, Scott Brockway said, "Ooh, I love martinis, vodka martinis." Now, a guest on our show said that you can't call a vodka martini a martini. It's not a martini. That's a good. Actually, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you could argue this, but, but, but he was very adamant about it. He was very Steve adamant. Ferris. I was going to say yes, uh, Steve Ferris. Um, and ever since then, I only drink gin martinis. <laughs> so, um, which it is the original martini. It is a gin martini is how the drink originated. So, I, I do follow his thinking. But I guess you could call a lot of things a martini. They put chocolate in martini for God's sakes. Oh yeah, yeah. My my wife loves unfortunately. Uh, the um pomegranate martinis no 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 she loves that oh my god no no uh by the way i'm going to see someone just brought up ingve ingve would just say the same thing over and over again uh yeah i'm not i don't know about ingve being on the show um but uh i'm going to see ingve uh with phil x opening up oh boy yeah he's playing next week i think june 4th Get your earplugs. I, I that's what I was told. <laughs> At least for Ingve. Yeah, I was told. Just get your earplugs. It's going to be really freaking loud. It's going to be loud. Yep. Totally. You're going to hear it all in the first two songs. <laughs> I know. I'm really there to see. To be honestly, I'm there to see Phil and his whatever uh, band that he's playing with. I forget the guy's name. Phil <laughs> Scott Music. He goes, if you if you wanted me to be the off-camera designated sober guy, I can come over and handle any disasters. <laughs> Will you drive us home, too? I, <laughs> I could have used that on the Rack Gear show because I, so, I was so out of it on that show. Um, only gin, they're saying. But you, oh, you say Belvini Caribbean cask. That's funny you say that. <gasps> oh. That's what I was sipping on. Unfortunately, I've been sipping it in a pint glass because uh, I don't know where all our, sh our small glasses went here. They mm. disappeared. Pete's got them all. Could be. He's hiding the glasses. So, oh, so uh, Quentin asks, where's I got to answer this? Does Ingve make Phil X play on a small corner of the stage right? Actually, no. Um, but Phil, Phil is, is not even playing through a cabinet. Oh no, no no! It's a head into a two notes captor. That's it. Oh, okay. But it's his head. It's the Phil X head. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, and he's he's in front of all of the amps and everything and everything. <laughs> That's right. Set up in front of Ingve's stuff, so he's got like three feet of the play in front. Oh, of Oh, there's a good one. Nancy Wilson of Heart would be interesting. Absolutely. I I I might be able to. Maybe hook that up. Yeah, she would be amazing. Um, what an underrated guitar player, in my opinion. Um, even <laughs> though the, the other guitar player in the band was great, too. No, she's great. Uh, oh, you mean uh, the original uh, yeah. guitar player? Um, um, I always forget the guy's name. What's his name? Howard Lees. Yes. 
Uh, I know Howard, actually. I've done work for Howard. I wonder okay. if I can get a hold of him. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but maybe. Yeah, he'd, be a, he'd be a cool guy to talk to, too. L. Scott Music says, Dave, I'll walk you home. I don't want to <laughs> walk at that point. I want to be <laughs> fucking driven. I mean, I know it's only a half mile away, but, you know. Um. <laughs> yeah, Nancy Wilson would be great. Um, yeah, I, I think... I, I I know someone that knows her. Jerry Cantrell knows her mm, pretty well. Yeah, you're right. That's right. Uh, whether or not I can get him to hook me up with her, I'm not sure. But maybe. Yeah, Ian Thornley would be great, too. Ian Thornley's going to be on Pete Thorne's show shortly. So, oh, uh, so keep an eye out for that. We'll pick up the we'll pick up from Pete when whatever. I don't he know if I was supposed to say that, but whoops. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know Pete likes Ian. Free from free pr- promotion. I actually met when I met Pete the first time. I met him with uh, with uh, with Ian Thornley. So it was at the Serb booth. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. Ooh, I actually Jerry, got bolts. Jerry and Nancy together. That would be good. That would be good. Oh wow. Hmm. That would be a guys are coming up with good things. Hit. Yeah, uh, and I know people are asking for Bogner. We'll get we'll get him on one day. Maybe. Okay, maybe. <laughs> I'll try. Okay. What happened to the Steve Stevens amp demo? Okay, the Steve Stevens amp demo was my private video was posted. Private video that we filmed was posted um, by Nags on their own YouTube channel. Unbeknownst to me. When did this happen? This happened a few weeks ago when I filmed it. Or after after it was edited. Uh, it's a long story how that happened, but it happened, and, and I was not happy about it, uh, obviously in the slightest. Uh, you know, it is a Friedman proprietary video that's supposed to be released upon release of the amplifier. And and the we're just getting all the videos and things together for the release and the amplifier. So uh, I was pissed. Pissed off. Wow. I, and they released I it because it was... I, I, I was... We were out of town, and I, um, yeah, we were out of town in Ventura visiting, uh, and um, I, I wake up, and I'm glancing at my phone, and I see it fucking posted. <laughs> like, holy shit, what the fuck? <laughs> Not cool. Get it? Not cool. Get it? Uh, through Steve, but, you know, that... It, it wasn't really his fault because he stated to them, please do not show this to anyone. I'm just showing you that I'm using your guitar in it. Uh-huh. And uh, so that's the story with that. Fuck. That's bullshit. I know. I, I'm, I'm over it now, but, uh, you know, we got it yanked down pretty fast, but um, but still, I mean, this, this, happens, this happens a lot. Things like this happen all the time. Um, you know, you try to do your best to, to to create a product release where everything goes according to plan, you know? 
And then something like this happens and fucks it all up. <laughs> yeah, and you and you, know, you, you went know. you went specifically you flew out there to go to go do it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But but it's our propri- it was our proprietary video. Yeah, it's not. Cool. I mean, you know, we uh, like paid to have it filmed. You know, it's right it's our proprietary video. It's a really cool video. It's got a great um, interview, not interview, uh, chat between Steve and I in it. That is a really, really good long chat. Um, you know, talking about our time together and stuff. It was, it was very cool. I can't believe I missed that. And we'll have some other videos that are more player-centric ones. Uh, this one is not as player-centric. Uh, you know, we'll have some other cool people doing doing videos for it. Right, right, right. Uncool. All right, well, we'll look forward to seeing that. Um, all right. I'm gonna run. Uh, you All guys right. have a have a great long weekend, <laughs> Vinny. He said Amber Heard leaked it. <laughs> Did she call TMZ? Did she call TMZ? <laughs> yeah, there, there's the other one. <laughs> oh man, has anyone been watching that? Oh, it's been a it's oh been my so god, intriguing. what a complete utter shit show. <laughs> it is, but it's so interesting. Oh, it's so, so interesting. interesting, and I, I'm I'm sorry. No matter what she says, I mean, I just, mm, I I just don't buy her delivery. You know, no, like no. I just do not believe her when she speaks. And I could be completely wrong with this, or 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 uh, you know, I I I I just don't I just don't buy it. I think the I majority, mean, think yeah. both the individuals are kind of messed up, but. Yeah, well, clearly but, that can't, that's come out. Clear, clearly that that this is this is not you know, probably no one's innocent in this really. But uh, but but boy, what a show! <laughs> yes. Especially you know. today, the past two days has been really really good. Oh, it's been pretty good, man. Uh, uh, Depp's lawyers have been really going at it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's some been yeah, some it's... good, just like just hammering things. And and the best part was the, the the one picture of her with the with the slightly bruised face. Um, but there's two versions of that picture that are the same exact picture. It's just edited. Right. They were talking it's about different, that, yeah. color graded, and different things. And uh, it, and it's obviously the same picture. Right. Yeah. And, and one, one it looks looks barely nothing, and the other one looks much more extreme because of the way it's colored. You know, again, I don't, don't know, know what happened. No one knows exactly. what happened. And I, and no I'm, one I'm knows so... how, 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 you know, how crazy of a drug fueled relationship that they had. But, um, I don't know. Yeah, especially you know, I, I definitely am against any kind of physical abuse and all that you know especially with women and you know i don't believe in any of that crap but uh it's hard it's been hard to believe her let's just say that you know i wanted to go in with an open mind it's been uh, it's been hard and and you know and and i don't no one knows what happened yeah no one really knows what went on it's crazy but it's and, you know i don't know yeah i love when he says mr rotten born yeah. <laughs> yeah 
And he's referring, would you like me to read it again? That's so great. Karen, um, don't hold a candle to Amber. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Oh, that's tough. Um, all right, guys. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to oh, you soon. What the fuck is this? Old guys talk about popular news. Hey, fuck off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we are old. And if you don't like it, watch something else. <laughs> what can I tell you? All right. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Talk to you guys later. Bye.